Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I remember when I was in Bible college preparing for ministry and they really reminded us and they hammered us preacher boys about the importance of preaching the entire counsel of God and to do it verse by verse and that's why I really own that uh, style of delivery. And they gave us a passage of scripture that I've carried with me in ministry and it's a passage of scripture that has resonated in the way that I have uh, shared God's word and it's found in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. You could just listen to this. It says this, Paul now writing to Timothy, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, and this was Paul's deathbed declaration, the last letter that he wrote that's in Holy Writ in Scripture. And he says, I solemnly charge you, Timothy, but generally by extension all of us, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead and by his appearing in kingdom. In other words, he's hammering, I'm charging you in front of the Lord, knowing the kingdom of God is at hand and coming in the future. He says then simply this, preach the word. And then he goes on to say, and be ready in season and out of season. That means always preaching the word is in season, giving the word wherever it is. It's always the right season. Then he says to reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And then he tells us why, and this is what I wanted us to hear today. In verse 3, and why it's sometimes a little difficult for me to give the passage that we're going to cover today in the time that we have. He says, you do all of this for the time will come... And I believe that the time has come today when they, those that are out there in the audiences, will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. In other words, they'll be looking for teachers who will say things that will either be funny or pithy or easy to follow, little practical things, very little on uh, conviction of sin, a lot of how to do this and how to do that. The things that might help us with the day-to-day issues of life. And not that that's all bad. The problem is that we then have a relationship sometimes with the speaker. We have relationship with sometimes the energy and the services. Or we might even have some connection or engagement with some of the truths. But the problem is we don't know the God of the truths. We don't know Jesus Christ of those truths. And there are times that we really have to know him. And I'm telling you that for this reason. Because as we were starting the book of Romans, you'll recall that the last couple of weeks I went over the longest autobiography of the Apostle Paul found in Scripture, which is found in the book of Romans. And in it we've learned a couple of very deep truths. The first, of course, being that whoever he is and whatever he does and how he lives his life is because he loves Jesus Christ with all of his heart, soul, and mind and has given himself to Christ not only for salvation, but for his lordship and his life now as a believer in Christ. And he's done that. And because of all of that, now he wants the whole world to know about Jesus Christ because he's following the Great Commission. I love the Lord, but I love others. And now I want to make disciples. And he does that by explaining that at the very center of his life with Christ is going to be the gospel. That he can't go anywhere without gospelizing the people that are around him. In other words, telling them, shouting them the good news. Recently, I talked to a a father, and he's so excited about sharing with his family, his extended family, some very exciting news. And he can't wait to do it because he wants to do it in a very special way that the family will remember those truths. And it'll be so special about uh, a new addition to their family. He reminded me of the Apostle Paul who just wants to share good news. But there's no greater news than Jesus died and he rose again, and that's the gospel. 
In fact, as we ended our session last time, you'll notice in verse 17, he says this, this whole gospel issue is from faith to faith. That means from Old Testament to New Testament, the faith to get saved, the faith to live your Christian life. It's all centered around the righteousness of Christ that we now have when we trust Christ as Savior. It's given to us. And let me tell you, that is really great news. So now he set the stage of telling them who he was and how much he loved the people and how much he loved the Lord and some of the things that he wanted to tell about the gospel. But now the Apostle Paul gives his lengthy written sermon, so to speak, this letter, it's a written sermon letter, to the folks at Rome, the believers at Rome. Now when I got thinking about that, I kind of pretended for a moment, let's say that the Apostle Paul was a preacher of today. And I'm kind of, with tongue-in-cheek, ready for him to give me three points in a poem and maybe a whole lot of fun little illustrations, etc. But he jumps right into verse 18. And if you look at it, it was read to us at the beginning of our worship service a little bit. Look in chapter 1 now, verse 18. And he says, after he says all this about faith and all of that, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then it goes on from there. And I got thinking again how that in a modern teaching and preaching today, you can go to churches and they'll be preaching to what we call felt needs. And I understand that and I get that, that sometimes you have to scratch the people where they itch, but below every felt need is going to be a real need and that's only going to be addressed when you go into the deeper teachings of God's Word, which you are doing and why you are growing so rapidly in the Lord and your knowledge of Him. If they don't do that, then they speak on other issues that seem to be quite helpful to them. They might be speaking on just practical day-to-day things. Other times they speak on just the experiences of life and how that uh, God can help you get through the experiences of life. And he can. But at the same time, we have to know sound doctrine. As I was studying for this message, I came across some writing by a great pastor who is now in heaven. His name is D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And uh, this guy, he preached through the book of Romans. I think it took him 12 or 13 years, and then he died, and he never finished going through the whole book. But don't worry, I won't go that long, because I don't want to die. I want to finish the book. But here's what he had to say. He says, why is he, Paul, ready to preach the gospel in Rome or anywhere else? He does not say it's because he knows that many of them, like the Romans, are living defeated lives, and he wants to get them something that will help them to have victory. He does not say to them, I want to come and preach the gospel to you in Rome because I've had a marvelous experience and I want to tell you about it in order that you may have some marvelous experience as well because you can't. This is not what Paul says. There is no mention here of any experience in the book of Romans. He's not talking in terms of their happiness or of some particular state of mind or something that might appeal to them as certain possibilities do. But he does give this staggering and amazing truth and that is the wrath of God. Now, when I signed up to be a preacher, I certainly love preaching for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. And I will give that verse and I've given it this last work week at a special luncheon where there was uh, unsaved people in the group. I love giving that verse. But just a few verses later is the verse that says that if you do not believe in Christ, the wrath of God will abide on you. So you do need to know one against the other, that they're all there. In fact, even in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord Jehovah says that if you really want to know, if you really want to be wise, then you want to know the Lord, that he's loving kind, he has justice, and he's righteous. And you think, well, what's so significant about that? It's because on one side you have his loving kindness. On the other side you have his justice, judgment, wrath, we might say. But in the middle of all of that you have his righteousness because he knows how to mete out both of those in the perfect balance to all of us. 
So I'm setting you up because I wanted you to know that in the weeks to come, the next two or three weeks, that I'm going to be speaking on the wrath of God and to whom it's going to fall and why it's going to fall. And I know it's not going to be the most popular uh, type of message. And some of you would prefer to hear something that's kind of funny with a lot of jokes. But I have to teach you about the wrath of God. Maybe a way you could uh, maybe identify better with it. Those of you that lived on the island for a long time, there probably has been a time that you've gone to one of our jewelers, maybe down in Waikiki. They've got the uh, Maui divers and the Haku and maybe the Bainbridge guy. He's got all this stuff out there. And usually when you go into them, they have brilliant lights in the showrooms where all the jewelry is. And then when you look up and you're looking at certain items that you'd like, more cases than not, you're going to find that they're going to either put out a black felt cloth or it's a black felt cloth book that they open, kind of like a, a, little, a, a little booklet. And they open it up and the lights are shining on this jet black piece of felt. And then what they do is they sprinkle on top of that either the jewelry or the diamonds that you're going to be looking at because they know that with those lights contrasted against the black, you will see those diamonds or those pieces of jewelry in a much more spectacular, sparkling way. Now I'm using that illustration that I, I do want you to see the sparkling diamonds of the eternal, powerful God in His divine nature. Those are the diamonds, and we will talk about that. But there are times for you to see how much that sparkles when you also see it against the blackness of his wrath. So we will talk about that. Now we're going to talk about three groups of people upon whom the wrath is going to fall in a general way. The first group we're going to talk about today would be what you might call the secularist, and I'll explain that in a moment. The second group is next week. We're going to talk about the moralist. The secularist basically says, there is no God. I'm going to live the way that I want. The moralist says, basically, I'm as good as God. I'm better than you are. And then the third group we're going to talk about will be more the religionists. They're the ones who boast in God. The problem is they, do, they don't really know the God of the Bible, but they think they do. Sometimes I find that it's harder to get a person who is so self-righteous, I've got to get them lost before I can get them saved. You know what I mean by that? They get so strung up on their goodness and the morality and their religion that they don't see that they're lost. When you see those people that are writhing in pain because of bad choices they made based on debauchery and evilness because they discounted and threw God away, those are the ones that finally said, I tried it, I need God, and how quickly they come to faith in Christ. If you need to really have some uh, statistics on that, just talk to those who work in our jails and prisons, the chaplains that are out there doing a great job because those people generally are now really ready. So today we're going to talk about sometimes those kinds of people. But to do that, I wanted you to understand about the wrath of God. And this is not going to be on the screen. It's not in your notes. You may want to just jot these down very quickly. I wish I had five Sundays to give you a teaching on each one of these five ways the wrath of God is demonstrated to us. But if you will, just jot them down quickly. You can do your own study. I'll be glad to help you with One way that the wrath of God is revealed could be in such a way as we call it just kind of that time when the Lord just chooses to allow people who have not trusted Christ as Savior spend eternity in a Christless place called hell. We're going to call that eternal damnation, eternal condemnation. The wrath of God will be displayed upon those who did not trust Christ in a real literal place called hell. Now I know again that's very black, very painful. We don't want to hear that but that is a place that they'll spend. The second area that they're going to have as far as the wrath of God and being able to experience the wrath of God will be what we might call the future day. Those of you that know eschatology, that's the doctrine of future happenings of God. 
you're going to know that there's a period of time where the wrath of God is going to be revealed on earth. So you have not only the eternal wrath of God in hell, you're going to have a particular period of time where the wrath of God will be experienced on humanity. That's still coming. The third wrath of God will be an event. And if you need to look backwards, you might look at the event when the wrath of God was displayed upon mankind because they were all sinners and wicked before the Lord except Noah and his family. So you had the flood. Another time he displayed his wrath upon mankind was in a particular area of the Middle East known as Sodom and Gomorrah and he just pummeled those people with his wrath. Those are particular events. God can do that. He has done that. Those are documented times. We might see certain things happen in our world today and might think that's the wrath of God and it might be. But it's not as clearly defined as it is in Scripture. The next time you see the wrath of God that is mentioned, you're going to find that these tend to be what we call sowing and reaping. If I could use this illustration, the wrath of God would be if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. If you want to see something that's kind of um, uh, more upfront, for those of you that watch movies, I know it's all on the film and it's all digitized, etc. But if you go to those kind of movies where you've got a bad guy at the beginning of the movie and he's doing a lot of bad things, you'll find that the worse he does, you know that sooner or later at the end of this movie, the, the badder he is, and that's my little pro- programmer there, the badder he gets the more pain he suffers at the very end. Have you ever noticed that? And if you have, nod your head. Go like that. It just seems that way. And in that way, it's the wrath of God that falls upon those who choose to live totally away from God that many times those people die a horrible death. That's a wrath of God. The final time is the one that I believe is more mentioned in the book of Romans that we're going to be studying now, and that's why I saved it for last. This is the wrath of God that is revealed upon humanity when humanity by their own choices choose certain things. Those three again would be that they want to not believe in God, they suppress the truth, and God then turns them over to the consequences of that life. Secondly, when they choose to say, I'm better than everybody else, I'm better than you, I don't have... They are still without excuse and God turns them over for judgment in this life and some of those future judgments that are happening. And then the final one is the one that says that I just boast in my God, I created my own God, this is how he looks, etc., and I'm going to believe it my way or my good works, my religious works, perhaps like the Jews, Sadducees and Pharisees, etc., that type of life. And so again, he will turn them over and he releases them to that. And I'll explain more of that concept when I get to that part of the scripture. And so that's the wrath of God that we're going to talk about now. So when you hear this again, while I'm painting this horrible picture of the wrath of God, I want you to know that, again, the diamonds in the middle of this is the precious person of Jesus Christ who died and he rose again, who's God in the flesh who did that for you and me. And that all of that is a part of his eternal power and his divine nature. And so for us to see how that operates in the midst of all this wrath, I promise you by the end of this message, there's going to be a couple things you're going to gain. If you do not know Christ as Savior, I want you to know that Scripture says, such were some of you, but you've been washed. That means you have a new life now in Christ. You're going to learn that He came for the ungodly, the very people that the wrath of God will be displayed upon. He came for those people and He died and He rose again. So if those people would place their faith in Christ, watch this, they can escape the wrath of God and have eternal life and have the eternal bliss and an intimate relationship with God forever and ever. You will have that as well. So as we go through this, I want you to know that there's a wonderful day coming for all of us who know Christ as Savior. And those that don't, I hope you do trust Christ as your personal Savior. So that's a little bit about the wrath of God. So let's go back to the passage of Scripture. So what is the wrath of God? I kind of explained it that way to you, but maybe giving you a couple of Greek words might help. And one is this. One word is the word thermos, 
we get our word thermometer from that, but that word means that explosive wrath. Did you grow up in a family where you had a dad or maybe even a mother who seemed to be rocking along, but it didn't take much? They had a very short fuse, and all of a sudden, bam, it goes off. You live in a home like that, and maybe sometimes you did something, and all of a sudden they backhanded you so quickly? That would be more the thermos, that kind of explosive anger. That is never described of God in that way. There's another word, which is the word orge in the Greek. It's not important for you to remember the Greek words, but to know that there are two different kinds of anger. And this one is a more controlled anger. It's not one where it's kind of boiling and finally explodes. It is a controlled anger for purpose. God hates sin. We could say very equally, God hates Satan. And there is a verse in Scripture that God does hate the wicked. Now that's interesting because it says God loves the world and how can he love and hate at the same time? I'm going to give you my answer and I've been teaching theology, preaching for so many years. I've wrestled with that question, how can God hate the wicked and how can God love the wicked at the same time? Here's the answer, write it down. I don't know how he does it. I don't have an answer for that. And some of you might say, you really don't? That means I can't believe the Bible. Let's go to the beach. Well, let me tell you, if we knew everything about God, then we probably created God. And if we created God, then God is powerless and we become God. So for me to have a God that I can't explain everything about, I'm really still okay. Because what I do need to know about God, I know about God. So while he might hate the wicked here, as he does, says in Scripture and Psalms, he says he does love us and that by faith alone in him, I will have everlasting life. And so I want to hang on the fact that if I trust in Christ, I have everlasting life. So those are the two words. Now, the next question is, is when he displays that, he reveals that wrath, in your Bible it might say he has revealed it, all right? Actually, in the Greek, it's actually, it's he is revealing it. His wrath is already going on now. In fact, in John chapter 3, it even says that the wrath of God is abiding on you, that even now you're underneath the wrath of God. And it's hard for us to believe because we live in the land of paradise, palm trees and, and rainbows. It's hard for us. Now, maybe if I lived in the Middle East or in the deepest part of the jungle or my house was blown away and I lost half my family in a tornado in the Midwest, I might then, well, okay, I, don't, I could see the wrath of God on me. But it's hard for us to see that right now. But I assure you on the authority of God's word, whatever we have right now, the wrath of God is on us. And the wrath of God for those that know Christ as Savior, you might be experiencing all this wonderful stuff right here, and you're going to live based on that instead of ever realizing that you still have heaven waiting for you if you trust Christ as Savior. So don't be lulled into the sense that everything is okay so far, like the man who jumped off the building, and as he headed to the ground, he was screaming on the fifth floor, still hadn't hit the ground, everything's okay so far, and it really isn't, and then it hits. So I pray that you understand we are still living under this revelation of his wrath today. So let's go back to the passage, and we're going to kind of go through it kind of verse by verse now. And you can take out your notes. If you miss any of the blanks, don't worry about it. I'll give it to you later. You can write me. I just want you to get the truth here. So the wrath of God, we talked a little bit about that. We talked about the two kinds of wrath. But now who is it displayed upon? It says is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. You could underline the word all in your Bible, and if you don't have a Bible, grab one out of the chair in front of you. There's some Bibles in the racks there. If not, get a Bible, bring a Bible, get a literal translation. I'm using the New American. It works for me. So underline the word all, but then you have the word ungodliness and unrighteousness. So I want to talk about those two words for a moment. All right. When you think in the, the word ungodliness, this is a person who believes that there really is no God. He, he lives his life 
that there is no God. I, I'm ungodly. There, I'm non-God. I could be anti-God, but the fact is there is no God. So he lives his life away from God. That would be ungodly. You're going to find the first section of the passage I cover today will be dealing with people who have a mindset that there is no God. And when I define that God, I'm refining, defining that God as capital G-O-D. There is no capital G-O-D. They might have a lot of small G-O-Ds, but no capital G-O-D in this thing. So in a sense, there, to them, there is no God. There might be a lot of gods, but not one big God, the real God, the only God. That's ungodly, as you see there. The second word is the word unrighteous. That deals with, I'm living my life without any rules. As if there is no God, therefore that there are no rules. Or I make up my own rules. Or I'll accept what rules I want to keep, which ones I don't. And if I don't like the rules, I'm going to do whatever, whatever I can to manipulate or intimidate the situation or the society to get the way that I want. Because I'll make up my own rules as I go along. That would be the unrighteous. Now when you put those two terms together, the ungodly and the unrighteous, generally you will find that an ungodly person lives believing there is no God will then live an, an unrighteous life without any real rules. So one kind of feeds the other. Now some of you are saying, boy, that is so cool. I'm glad I got here today. Well, I don't want to overload this thing because exegetically, I could still make the case that ungodliness and unrighteousness are so similar to one another that I don't want to really divide them too far apart and make such a big sermon on ungodly and unrighteous and divide it up. However, in this context, as we're going to learn today in the time that I have left, there is a difference, and so I want you to know there is an understanding of ungodliness and unrighteousness. And so we want to talk a little bit more about the man is, that man is guilty of ungodliness. So let's, let's talk about that for just a moment. Man is guilty of ungodliness. So as we go a little bit further in the passage, here's what you're going to find in verse 19. It says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. Well, that's a very interesting phrase. Some translation says that he made it evident among them. I believe that the better translation is still that he made his, himself, God known, in them. And he does it often by what's done on the outside, revealing himself to him. So inside, I have a God consciousness. Write this reference down. You could look at it later. 1 John 1 9 says that the light that's let every man, every man has the light of God within him. That means that every man has a God consciousness in him. That doesn't mean that he's saved or anything. That means that he is born with an awareness that there is a God. We're going to call that light because that's the context of John 1, that he has the light. All right. So that's in them. That's it's already resident in every human being. Now, then what they see on the outside externally, it is revealed to them and it's now in them. Let me use this testimony. Helen Keller, if you remember Helen Keller, the Miracle Worker movie and all of that, Helen Keller was born blind, she couldn't speak, all right, she couldn't hear, and so she was completely sealed out from the world. She had someone who loved her enough to spend time with her, to begin to work with her, to break the communication barrier. When that barrier was then broken during the course of it being broken then, the conversation came up to Helen Keller about God. And so this person then realized that Helen Keller never knew anything about God, started to explain God to Helen Keller. Helen Keller, is, and I'm quoting now, her response was simply this. So that's who you call him. And what she then explained from that testimony was that she had an awareness of God without ever hearing, without ever seeing. There was something inside of her that was resident in her, that there's a God consciousness. Now, folks, this passage we're going through now will explain the question, what about all those foot-washing aborigines in the far jungle that never heard about God? Is God going to send them to hell? 
The answer is yes and no. It all depends on the light that God has already given to them. And then through the general revelation of creation, he's revealing himself to them so that they have an opportunity, watch this now, to go after that light. Who am I? Why am I here? How can I get to the next life? Where am I really going? When they begin to ask the right questions, then God will continue to reveal more and more. Now, again, I'm still believing that most of those people, if not all of them, are asking those questions in the jungle. The problem is Satan is there, and through God's creation, they begin now to worship the creatures, the created, rather than the creator. But those that get beyond all of that, God then reveals himself. You will find in today's passage, if I could use my arm right here to represent a flame, like on a Bunsen burner or something like that. You have this flame. As you now want to seek God, the flame gets turned up higher and higher and higher, and then God will reveal the truth. Now, let me give you this other truth to this. This is important. Nobody is in hell that's not supposed to be there. Nobody is in hell. Had they heard the gospel and would have trusted Christ as Savior, God would not send a person to hell because they just didn't hear the gospel. If God knew they trust Christ and he would, he would then bring them the message. Now, let me say, you're turning up the burner on your light that God's given you. It starts small, it grows as you seek that light. And God will reveal the truth to you. You still have that choice as God gives you to trust in Him. And God is bringing all of that to you, so the choice becomes pretty easy. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.